Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and Christian living. Crossroads is part of the media ministry at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Get to know us by visiting us online at fapc.org. Hi, I'm Jamie Staley, Director of Christian Education at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And I'm here today with Dr. Kathy Maxwell, Associate Professor of Biblical and Theological Studies at Palm Beach Atlantic University and a biblical storyteller. (laughs) I can hear people now asking, what in the world is a biblical storyteller? Can you tell us a little bit more about biblical storytelling and how you got involved, Kathy? Sure. Um, There are lots of different, uh, I guess, avenues or streams of biblical storytellers. The one that uh, I'm that I'm a part of and where Jamie and I met first uh, is called the Network of Biblical Storytellers. And that's a group that exists to uh, teach other people and to encourage other people to tell biblical stories. So um, biblical storytelling for me looks like a process of um, closely reading and praying through s- scripture stories in the Bible and internalizing those stories, making them sort of part of who I am, and hopefully they are able to do their transformative work in my lives, in my life. And then I tell those stories to other people. Uh, and it's just been such a challenge and a joy to um, be involved with that group and to learn what for me has really become sort of a spiritual discipline of telling biblical stories. Awesome. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, I have really enjoyed the group as well. (laughs) Um, So as you know, Kathy, this is our first podcast um, and also our first podcast in a series about stories. So when, when we began talking about a month ago about this series, we were really going to focus on COVID-19, looking at the idea of stories and storytelling as a way of working through this time um, and looking at our faith and life uh, through that lens. But as you know, a couple weeks ago, amidst the protests around the country in response to George Floyd's death, we pivoted a bit on how we were going to talk about storytelling. I um, am really grateful for Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church um, and their engagement and their willingness to make these important pivots. And so I'm excited for this series um, to really touch on um, some of the aspects of storytelling as subversion. Um, so when, when you and I uh, chatted, <laughs> once we made that pivot, uh, when you and I were chatting last week, you said uh, something that really stuck with me. You said that stories have the power to be subversive in unusually persuasive ways. Uh, Would you share more about what you mean by this? Yeah, sure. This is actually something that I think I learned through folks in the network of biblical storytelling. But um, I think first what I mean by that statement is that it's important to acknowledge that stories have power. There's this sort of underlying, underlying narrative, I think, that really significantly impacts our lives. Um, 
But that narrative is different depending on who we are and what our circumstances are. So I think for some people, um, the narrative, and this is probably what's predominantly been true in my life, uh, one of the narratives that underlies my life is if you work hard, you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. Um, But that's not the same narrative that underlines uh, other people's lives, because I know for others, sometimes the narrative that runs in the background is no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, there is no hope. And so I think that um, that it's important to acknowledge the power of stories and that this power is often, I think, pretty subtle. Right. These stories, these narratives, they're so ingrained in our culture that we don't even often realize how much they um, they influence us. So I think what I would say first is that we've got to recognize that stories are very powerful. And that just like, you know, anything else that is powerful, the power of story can be used for either for good or for evil. So I, I mean, we don't have to look very far, particularly um, in the news and the social media within the last couple of weeks to, to notice that narratives can be very effective tools of oppression. So stories, uh, we can craft narratives that uh, protect us, whoever us might be, um, and that often happens at the expense of others. And so I do think that it's important to recognize that stories can be used for evil um, as much as they can be used for good. But on the flip side, and what my comment was really getting at is, is that stories can have incredibly subversive powers. They can um, reorder power structures. They can, and you know, Jesus's followers were accused of this uh, in the Gospels. They can uh, turn the world upside down. Stories can can do this, um, and stories have this this really incredible staying power. They they stay with us because I I think as humans something inside of us sort of naturally gravitates toward story. We we love to tell stories, we love to hear stories. If it's a good story, we sort of naturally begin to see ourselves in the stories. Um, and they just sort of take up residence in our brains and in our hearts and in our families too. Um, and so I think that, that the subversive power of stories is that stories can take root uh, in us and in our communities and they can give us hope that, I mean, and it's not easy, and it often involves great risk, but the stories can give us hope that um, even the least among us really has um, has the power to affect the community's narrative. And and so I think in the context of what's been happening in, in our nation over the last uh, couple of weeks, um, I think that, that it's important to say that to change society, I don't know that it's always the case that we need to work harder or that we need to, you know, sort of debate more logically or more persuasively. I think that the key is that we've got to tell and we've got to hear different stories. And I think that that telling and that listening is what can lead us to live a different storyline. So um, the subversive powers of story, I think, um, is, is a place where I'm finding some hope these days. I love that. Just in our conversation and kind of trying to look into a little bit of kind of what that looks like, I stumbled on this this quote, which I really like, um, from The Joys of Storytelling by Ben Okri. And it, it says, storytelling is always quietly subversive. It is a double-headed axe. 
You think it faces only one way, but it also faces you. You think it cuts only in one direction, but it also cuts you. You think it applies to others only when it mainly applies to you. When you think it is harmless, that is when it springs its hidden truths, its uncomfortable truths on you. It startles your complacency. And when you no longer listen, it lies silently in your brain waiting. I just loved that image. Yes, that's you great. Know. And an ancient rhetorician said that for a, a writing or a piece or a story, in our case, to be truly sublime, it will lie dormant in your in your mind, but it's like an ember that that's glowing there. And eventually, when you least expect it, it will burst back into flame and back into life. I love that. I love that quote that you shared. Thanks, Jamie. I love that image of the ember. That is so cool. That is very fun. So as you mentioned, Bible stories, you know, the stories of Jesus's life as Christians, we really can just look to the Bible for all sorts of stories that are subversive, that grow out of conflict and revolution, and yet today seem so tame to us because we've heard them over and over again. Um, is there a particular story in the Bible that sticks out to you as being subversive that we may overlook or just not talk about as much? When I think about subversive stories, biblical stories are, are at the top of my list. Um, one of them, and you know, there's so many stories from Jesus's life um, that I could um, that I could could turn to, um, but I think one theme that kind of runs through the entire biblical text, which is so contrary to the narrative that defines uh, us today, and in particular the narrative that kind of defines uh, our nation today, is the storyline of the Bible is. Uh, tells us, teaches us that things that we think guarantee power, um, things like holding the power of death, uh, things like wealth, um, things like being the strongest and the biggest and the mightiest, um, those things over and over again in the biblical story fail. Um, and what the biblical story tells us from beginning to end is that the things that guarantee victory in the biblical story are things like um, compassion and sacrifice and humility and generosity. Um, and so I think it's, um, if, if we're thinking about biblical stories and how they are subversive, I think one of the ways they do this is that they operate in God's economy, not in the economy that we have set up in our own world. Um, and I think what I mean by that is that God's economy is an economy of abundance. Mm. So in God's kingdom, there is always enough for any who would come. Um, but our, our economy's uh, value system says that uh, we operate on principles of, of scarcity, right? So there's only so much, so you better fight for what you want, and then you have to protect it so nobody takes it away from you. So those are two very different value systems. Yeah. Um, and I think that the biblical story springs from um, God's economy, this economy of, of abundance. And so I think that's why the subversion works in the biblical story, because there is enough um, victory and enough strength to go around, um, even to those that we might least expect. Uh, when we were chatting earlier, I had mentioned uh, a story from Exodus 1, if I can dip back into the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Um, and um, a story that has stuck with me, a colleague of mine um, kind of helped me explore this a bit Um several years ago. And uh, it's a story of the Egyptian midwives. 
So in this story, you can really, you hear the seemingly absolute power of the Pharaoh. And then we get to see that it is subverted and undermined by sort of the the characters that we we didn't even see it coming. We expect them <laughs> to be the least powerful in the story. So um, so most you all are familiar with the story, but what happens is Joseph and his family is mo- have moved down to Egypt after the Great Famine, and Genesis opens by saying, you know, there's a new Pharaoh in power, and he didn't know Joseph, and um, becomes actually afraid that Joseph's people, the Hebrew people, um, are growing too numerous, and they might rise up in revolt, and so he enslaves. So the Pharaoh enslaves the Hebrew people, um, and basically makes their lives miserable builds um, begins building his empire on the backs of these um, of these slaves but the harder Pharaoh makes the Hebrews work the more their population grows and so this isn't working for Pharaoh and so he orders that um, that the Egyptian midwives when they attend the births of the um, Hebrew women when they're giving birth if the baby that's born is a boy the boy should be killed, but if it's a if it's a girl, the girl would be allowed to live. Well, um, the midwives disobey Pharaoh. They attend the births, is implied by the story. They attend the births, but they don't kill those male babies. So Pharaoh, of course, notices that the population continues to grow, <laughs> and so he calls the midwives in. Um, and says, "What's going on? Why haven't these? Why are these male babies still alive?" And the midwives uh, sort of say, and this kind of goes to what you were saying, what the quote that you used about the kind of uh, stories cut both ways. Mm-hmm. The midwives say, "Well, you know, the Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. I mean, the Hebrew women are strong and they're hardy, and they just give birth and they're sort of back out in the fields before, you know, we're we're even able to do anything. So we don't know why these male babies are, you know." still living. And so um and so I think that the story is is really interesting, but the plans of Pharaoh get overturned by a few women that are gathered around a birthing stool. <laughs> this doesn't take place in halls of power or in, you know, rooms where they're planning uh revolts. It happens in a birthing room. And these slave women, both Hebrew slave women and Egyptian slave women, they risk colluding together. And as I kind of thought about what's happening in our our context today, I, I thought, I don't know that it wouldn't be, I don't think it'd be too far to say that they were committed to this idea that Hebrew lives matter, right? So even, mm-hmm. even the babies. And so the power of, you know, Pharaoh's is subverted. And I think it's, it's interesting that as you read through the text in Exodus chapter one, we actually find the names of these two Egyptian midwives. Mm, wow. And often in the biblical story, when we hear the actual names of characters, it means that they have a particular significance. And so we remember these two midwives. Their names were um, Shifra and Pua. And we tell the story about their courage and the power that they had to change this narrative of death um, into a story of of life, and we know that we think that one of the babies that survive um, is Moses. As as you said, these stories that we, we've heard, you know, these are these are things that are in there, and I think that sometimes we glance over them. You know, the story of the midwives isn't long; it's no. only a couple of verses, really. And I, it's just 
you know, the whole Bible is filled with these, these types of stories and, and it's just interesting. I know that, um, I, I know that, um, you as, as a biblical storyteller talk about space that, that, that gets made in stories Mm -hmm. and how can we as readers of these Bible stories work to hear them, with new understanding or new meaning, how can we make that space um, when we hear them or when we tell them, um, however that plays out? I think uh, one very important thing that we have to do is we have to ask questions. And I think some people are more comfortable and some people are less comfortable asking questions about the Bible. Um, But I think that it's really important that we ask questions and then we teach our kids to ask questions too. And um, by questions, I mean, open-ended questions, like questions like uh, why and how and what if, you know, those questions can really open up possibilities um, for for any story. Um, And I know that it's a little bit uncomfortable for some folks to think about, you know, the biblical story having multiple meanings. Um, But I think that this is really one of the amazing things about stories, that story is very flexible. So we can have different parts of the same story that get highlighted depending on context. So depending on who's telling the story and who's listening to the story and what's going around, going on around those people. So I think asking questions and being willing to hear possibility possibilities for answers is very um, important. Um, The second thing I think that we can do is something that um, Richard Swanson, who's another storyteller, has taught me to do, and that is to poke at parts of stories that we've always assumed to be true. Hmm. So I kind of use that analogy of plaster covering up holes, and the way that you find out if there's a hole behind the plaster is you knock on it, right? And so you've got to kind of poke at that wall to figure out where the hollow spots are. Um, And then the last last, uh, thing that I would mention is that I think it's really important that we learn to put ourselves in the shoes, um, or as I tell my students, in the sandals uh, (laughs) of the characters in the biblical stories. Um, A real quick example would be the story of the binding of Isaac, right? So in that story, um, almost all of us put ourselves in either Abraham or Isaac's shoes. Um, I'll take Abraham because that's an easy example. Um, We celebrate Abraham's faithfulness to God. We want to be as faithful to God as Abraham was, that um, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only and his beloved son uh, when God asked. Um, but it was it was another storyteller, uh, Dr. Marty Stussy, who taught me years ago to at least think about the story from Sarah's perspective. When we read that story, Sarah does not hear a word from the Lord, at least as far as we know. And she sort of gets up that next morning and packs a lunch for her husband and her son and they're headed off to make a sacrifice and Abraham does not have a sacrifice to take with them. I mean, what does she think about this crazy plan of Abraham? And it's it's just another way of that uh, another way that we can look at a story from a different angle um, to begin to consider other perspectives. So I think those three things, asking questions, um, poking stories, uh, especially our assumptions about stories, and then also uh, working to put ourselves in the sandals of other characters. Um, so I, I love to tell stories. As as we just mentioned a little bit ago, um, we met at the Network of Biblical Storytellers Festival. Um, so I do, I do enjoy telling stories, but 
in this place and time, in the last few weeks, I am finding that I need to spend more time listening than telling Mm -hmm. and listening to the stories of others, putting myself in the sandals, probably shoes now. Now we're in the shoes, but (laughs) putting myself, (laughs) you know, and and learning and listening. Um, When we chatted last week, you mentioned to me that you find listening to another's story as an act of... And you said either hospitality or compassion, and I I wanted to feel that out a little bit more and see what you what you um, meant by that. Yeah, I definitely I I've kind of I'm still struggling if I want to say it's an act of hospitality or compassion. I think that it's that often. Um, well, and I'm not sure. I still am not sure where I want to land on that. <laughs> but right, certainly, right. certainly <laughs> compassion. I would, I would certainly say uh, that that both telling and listening to stories, uh, truly listening, is is an act of compassion. Um, and I think that particularly right now, lis- really listening to other people's stories is an absolute necessity. Um, I think that we we could probably most of us would probably agree that we've forgotten how to be good listeners. Um, We're out of practice, uh, both on a national level and on individual levels. Um, Because listening to a story means letting yourself be enveloped by that story. It means um, stepping into the world that the story creates, right? And and really buying into um, to what that story is is doing. but I think that when we're faced with times of crisis, like like we're facing with COVID-19, um, but certainly with the uh, racial unrest that we're seeing right now, I think a lot of times we listen, but with less than helpful motivations. Um, I think a lot of times we listen defensively. So we're, you know, we, we're constantly thinking about how to defend ourselves uh, in our perceived um, um culpability and in, in how the story is unfolding. Um, I think we often will listen as we're sort of watching for a chance to one up the storyteller, you know, oh, that's bad, but let me tell you about this, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, and I, and I also think that sometimes, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, that, that sometimes I'm listening with the motivation of finding, uh, trying to find something that makes me feel better. Um, or we're listening with the hope that we can find, you know, a quick solution to a problem. And I think that that while our ears are sort of, you know, the information is coming into our ears, that that's not really deep listening. Um, I, I don't think so. I think I think you're right that we've got to listen to other people's stories in a way that that puts us in their shoes, right? So what is it like? And and I'm not. I'm not saying I know any answers to these difficult situations, but but what's it like for the senior adult who is asked to stay at home from church while the younger members of the church are welcomed back, you know, to the building? What is what is that like? I think we've got to think about that um, as as churches look at you know what phase of reopening are we where, where are we going to jump into this? Um, what's it like for the black man who wears a baseball cap and walks into a gas station? What is that like for him? Um, what's it like to raise uh, Latinx kids today? You know, what do you tell them when they go to school? What do What do you tell them when their friends um, act in ways? And we know that kids kids can be as mean as adults. So, you know, how do how do we navigate those things with kids? What What is it like to be a white 
member of law enforcement. So I think that every every one of those stories is a is a valuable story that we need to um, to listen to. Um, and I think that when that we honor stories, we honor people and their stories by by really truly and deeply listening. And that when we do that, I think um, it's a step toward repentance in many cases. Um, and I think it's a step toward reconciliation, which is just so, um, so important right now. And I want to kind of follow up, I think, comments that I just made by saying that, um, particularly if we're thinking about this sort of really deeply disturbing uh, racial unrest and injustice that we're seeing right now unfold um, in our in our nation, I think that those of us who benefit from from uh, white privilege, we have to listen now uh, empathetically, compassionately. I think that we have had the time to tell our stories, and now is the time to listen to the stories of others. And maybe, you know, a story sort of you think, oh, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I could share part of my story. But I think that this is the time for us to sit um, and and listen. Um, and then on the heels of that, of course, it's not that, you know, people of color have just now started telling their stories. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They've been telling <laughs> and um, raging and weeping their stories for centuries. Um, but they just they've not been heard. And so I do want to recognize um, sort of out loud, although I think a lot of us, uh, some of us will implicitly understand this, but we need to recognize out loud that the willingness to continue to tell those stories um, is a real gift that we can receive from uh, our friends that are people of, of color. Well, I think that we are getting pretty close to our time. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kathy. Um, this this conversation, I think, um, for, for such a time as this, you know, it, it's so important for us as Christians to continue um, listening to um, these stories, these biblical stories, just hearing those subversive parts of those stories, as well as listening to the stories of those around us and, you know, mm -hmm. not just listening, but really hearing them. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, on our uh, new new Crossroads podcast, um, we are going to continue that. That's something that we have um, uh, really are trying to focus on right now um, is is hearing those stories. Um, so what we're going to do in the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be hearing from um, several of our own community members, um, our own congregation members at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Uh, and we are going to ask them to share their stories with us, um, because what better place to start than at home <laughs> with the people you know? Um, so that is where we will be headed with that. But thank you again so much, Kathy, for joining me today. Well, Jamie, I wanted to say thanks for the opportunity. I, it's an honor to be here and get to talk about something that I love, which is stories, and then something that's so important and so difficult. Yeah. Um, right now in our country. So thanks. And thanks for the work that you guys are doing to continue the conversation and to give a platform for those voices to tell stories. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Crossroads. Our managing editor is Jamie Staley. Edited by Machina Brisbane, Reverend Dr. Charlene Han Powell, Kelly Bacayo, and Emily Dumbroff.